Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 today. So this week I was practicing my violin and I slapped it out of anger. Then I got arrested for domestic violence. Ah, yeah. All right, all right. So, what do you call a protein that has anger management issues? Amino acid. Ah, all right, yeah. Yeah, wake up a little bit. Uh, the husband uh, said, you know, when I get mad at you, you just don't ever seem to fight back. How do you control your anger? And the wife says, well, I clean the toilet. The husband said, well, how does that help? And she says, well, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> oh, no. They're terrible. Anger, right? Well, we're going to talk about the subject of anger today, and Jesus deals with this subject in our passage kind of indirectly, kind of directly. What I mean is he is exposing the way the scribes and the Pharisees misinterpreted the scriptures. Um, We talked about that last time. We kind of set this up. And one of the areas they misinterpreted the scripture was the law of murder. And so Jesus is going to get into that today. We're going to talk about anger. Now, don't you think that the world... uh, has become an angrier place, you know, just within, boy, even just within the last year, right? I was reading a study from NPR that was from 2018, and out of all the people they surveyed, they said 84% of them, of the people they surveyed, said that they thought that this generation was angrier than the one before. And that was in 2018. I mean, you look back at that now and you say, man, they didn't have anything to worry about back in 2018 compared to us, right? People are mad at one another right? The uh, COVID situation, people are mad because the guidelines are too strict, and then they're mad because the guidelines aren't strict enough, right? And they're, uh, you know, mad for all different reasons. People are mad this year, you know, not that this is the only year, but a lot of people mad at different races. Like, well, because you're black and I'm white, or because you're white and I'm black, let's be mad at each other, you know, or something like that. Um, People are mad at the police this year, remember that? And then people are mad at the people that are mad at the police, right? Like, I mean, people are mad at one and over, over, you know, one another over politics, right? Like, I can't believe some of the things I've heard people say about other humans because they don't have the same political view as them, you know? Uh, you might not like them, but you say, you know, it's weird. Everybody's so angry. Bullies attacking people on social media. Watched a documentary about that. You have no idea how mean kids are to one another. It's crazy. The world's become more and more of an angry place. It seems like it's getting worse. I mean, I don't like that truth, but it does seem like that. The headlines in the news frequently read something like, anger erupts in downtown, leading to four people shot. Today, Jesus, in our passage, will deal with the subject of anger. Now, the reason I think this is so important is because there's a lot of people that sit justified in their anger. And they think that because they have a really good reason to be angry, that it's okay. And Jesus is going to deal with that today. The sinful attitude of being justified in your anger. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Therefore, or I'm sorry, you have heard 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Heavenly Father, just make this speak to us, God. May this be delivered in your spirit, in the spirit of gentleness and compassion. Um, Lord, as we face Jesus' difficult words, here today. Father, have mercy. Help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Main point, really, in this message, the scribes and the Pharisees, which we've been talking about, they were the religious establishment at the time, they interpreted the law to not murder someone simply from a physical standpoint. If you don't commit the act, then you're keeping the commandment and you're righteous. Jesus interprets the law accurately, and he says that anger in the heart is the same as murder in God's eyes. Then Jesus will give practical application of this truth. So verses 21 and 22, think about it like this today. Um, Since God takes anger seriously, We ought to understand anger as God sees it. Verse 21 and 22, we have to understand it how God understands it. Verse uh, 23 through 24, we should understand the importance then of reconciliation. That's the next thing Jesus is going to talk about. And then the final point, verse 25 and 26, understand the urgency that this uh, reconciliation demands. So understand anger as God sees it, the importance of reconciliation, and then the urgency um, that the reconciliation demands. Look at verse 20 for a second. It just has a little heading. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you remember last time we talked about how the scribes and the Pharisees interpreted the Old Testament law. uh, Not only there's the Ten Commandments, the 613 commandments they took out of there, plus all the rabbinical teachings and all that. The way they interpreted the law, just to make it kind of simple, was they read this and said, so long as you're not externally doing these things, you're righteous, right? Has anybody ever heard the statement today where somebody will say, well, it's not like I killed somebody. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, it's kind of like that. You know, in a way they're saying, I'm righteous with God. I'm, I'm meeting God's standard because I have not committed the act of murder. But Jesus says, um, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. What he means is um, this whole facade of a religious veneer while something different is going on inside, Jesus says that's not going to cut it. That's That's not for his people. His people are not to interpret the law of God in a way that it's just observed externally. Jesus is interested in what's going on in your heart, right? 
We need a whole different kind of righteousness to get into the kingdom of heaven. We need the righteousness of Christ given to us. And praise God, all you do is you confess your sin to him and you say, Lord, um, I surrender. I believe in Jesus. And then he imparts, he imputes Christ's righteousness to you. So he wants to give you that righteous standing as a gift. That's what Jesus means. Your righteousness in order to get into heaven has to be far above some external observances while the internal is doing something different. You know? It has to be higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, when we read through these passages, when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of things happen. The first thing is you get convicted of your sin. You say, oh my goodness, I am guilty. And then you beeline it to the Savior, right? It's quite common for people to go through the Sermon on the Mount and sit, and as they're hearing what Jesus is saying, for them to get so convicted, they're, they're in their mind confessing to the Lord, and they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, uh, forgive me of my sin. So that's one thing is you get convicted of your sin going through the Sermon on the Mount, and you go to your Savior. And the second thing that you get going through the Sermon on the Mount is you understand how Jesus wants you to live as a Christian, right? We don't want to soften that by saying, none of us can do this stuff, so we you know, believe the gospel and we get the righteousness of Christ. That's true. But also we desire to live just as Jesus says here. We also desire to live just like he says. Do we fall short of it? Absolutely. And when we do, we confess. We ask for forgiveness and cleansing of all righteousness, but we keep aimed at the standard of Jesus Christ. That's how we live as Christians. We do it by his grace. We can't do it perfectly. We're certainly not earning our way into heaven by doing it because we can't do it perfectly. I don't want to ever water down the fact that Jesus does expect us to live like this. Now, with that being said, let's get started. We need to understand anger as God sees it. So what he's going to do is he's going to expose, like the scribes and the Pharisees, their external understanding of the law of murder, and then he's going to tell them what the true um, understanding is. Look right there where it says, um, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Now, look at verse 31. See again where it says um, in verse 31, furthermore, it has been said. Okay, now look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said. Verse 43, um, you have heard that it was said. So, you see, the rest of chapter 5 is Jesus saying, you have heard the scribes and the Pharisees teach it like this? But then look at verse 22. But I say to you. That's the theme going through here. The religious teachers at the time interpreted the law in a way that it could be kept externally. They said, you can do this stuff. You just have to be really legalistic and righteous like us. And they were teaching it like that. And so Jesus is saying, You've heard it said like this, but I say to you, right? That's the theme of the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter 5 here. Now, is Jesus contradicting the law of Moses? No, he never did that. Jesus never contradicts anything in the Old Testament. What he is doing, rather, is he's rejecting the scribes and Pharisees' incorrect interpretations of the law. He, in turn, gives God's true intention of the laws, and he uses these five examples, these hot-button subjects, if you will. Uh, this time, murder. Uh, the next time, adultery, and so on. 
And he uses these hot button topics and he says, you know, you've heard the teachers say this, but I say to you. Um, you've heard the false interpretation, but Jesus is going to give you the true interpretation. Now that's what this uh, next little section is about. So Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old. That is, you've heard what the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching you. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that what the law says? Yeah, that's what the law says. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, right? <clears throat> Breaking this law um, warrants the death penalty. Now, that actually, before the law, that's actually back to the time of Noah. You remember if a you know, man takes another man's life, you know, he's going to die. That, you know, capital punishment for murder goes all the way back uh, to uh, the time of Noah. So how are they incorrect in their interpretation here? Well, we need to keep reading what Jesus says here. Verse 22. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, what they did was they interpreted the law of murder and they said, hey, as long as you don't go through with the actual act of killing somebody, you haven't murdered them. Jesus says, no, that's not the extent of it, right? Because... I cannot, you know, I could keep myself from murdering. But in my mind, I could be like, gosh, I want to kill them, you know, right? I could be cursing them in my heart. And although I've never, you know, done anything. See, the way they interpreted the law was the act of murder gets you the death penalty. But everything up to it, that's okay, right? Jesus says, no, no, that's not going to cut it. If you have anger towards your brother, you're guilty of the sin of murder. Jesus doesn't say anger leads to murder. Jesus says anger is murder. See, they were making themselves feel good and righteous and innocent because, hey, I've never killed anybody. But Jesus is saying, but yeah, but your heart is filled with anger towards people. You know, maybe if you thought you wouldn't get caught, you'd kill them, right? Maybe if you just couldn't live with that, you know, on your conscience, you know, then you would kill them, you know? You've heard people say stuff like that, man, if I wouldn't get caught, I'd tell you what, I'd choke them, you know? Well, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying that the sin of murder, it actually starts, um, you know, it's the same thing as anger, Right? If my anger towards somebody had its full expression, it would end up in murder. You know, if you think about it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get stopped somewhere along the process, that very same thing going on in my heart, if it was allowed to have full reign, it would be murder. And that's what Jesus is getting at. So the law is not to be interpreted as saying, well, you know, yeah, you're really angry and you curse them out all the time and you've got an ulcer because you're so mad at this person all the time and you just can't forgive them and you can't let it go. Uh, but what Jesus is saying is that's actually sinful because God sees what's going on in your heart. Uh, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees that say, well, since I never killed anybody. But Jesus says, no, you need to take a look in your heart. You can read the commandments from a purely physical level and then you can convince yourself that you're keeping these things and you can feel righteous and you can say, because I'm doing so well at keeping these commandments, God's going to let me into heaven. Jesus says, no, 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 there's something else going on here. What's going on in your heart? Verse 20, uh, 22, he says, But I say to you that whoever was angry with his brother without a cause shall be in the danger of the judgment. They interpreted it 
simply as the act. That's incorrect. It's more than the act. The correct interpretation, Jesus says, is not just the act that is sinful, but even the anger going on in your heart towards another person. Now, when you look at the Greek word translated anger, which is important to do, I mean, we should all want to know what that word means, right? It's not talking about an explosive sort of anger. There's a couple of Greek words translated anger. It's not talking about like explosive, like you fly off the handle, you repent, and you're like, whoa, and that's not like your character. This is talking about, like one commentator says, it's a seething, brooding bitterness that always threatens to leap out of control, leading to violence, emotional hurt, mental stress, spiritual damage, and even murder. So it's not this like explosive anger, you know, like, um, you know, I was out in the garden and, you know, I found that, you know, my neighbor accidentally chopped down my rhubarb, you know, oh, you know, got over it, right? This is a seething, brooding bitterness that's in somebody's heart, just an angry person. Like, you avoid them because you're like, dude, they're just, a, they're going to fly off the handle, you know, and so just, just stay away. They're like toxic, you know, is what we would call them today. Don't feel bad if that's you, by the way. I don't want, you know, we're not trying to, you know, God loves you and stuff. I mean, I've dealt with this stuff a long time. That's why I say I know there's people out there that are like this, you know. Um. <sighs> now, some of us are resting on that statement where it says without a cause. And they're like, oh, well, perfect. I've got a cause. I always have a cause. I can tell you what's wrong with everybody. I've got all the reasons to be angry with everybody. Let me burst your bubble. Let me pull the rug out from underneath of you. That statement is actually not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. Did you know that? Is there a footnote in your Bible that says that? It's actually not in the earliest manuscripts, okay? So you can't rest on that one. Let's say for a second that Jesus did say it. Well, if you, you know, remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus said to pray for those that persecute you. Okay, so if that's not a cause, Jesus says in a, you know, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to love your enemies. Okay, so if that's not a cause, so you see what I'm saying? Whether it's supposed to be there or not, the without a cause, it doesn't matter because Jesus says we're to love our enemies. We're to turn the other cheek. If somebody hits us on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. If somebody asks us, they, they force us to go a mile and carry their burden, we should go two miles. That's the kind of people Jesus wants us to be. So it doesn't matter whether that statement's there or not, really, because what Jesus is talking about is seething anger towards people. And he's saying, if that's you, you need to call it what it is, and you need to see it how Jesus sees it. And Jesus sees it as murder. God sees it as murder. So that whole like, well, I've never killed somebody. Well, hopefully you won't say that after today. Verse, uh, and going on, he says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. I don't know if that's how you say it, Raka. <laughs> it sounds like that's how you would say it, right? Uh, it's a hard word to translate into English. That's why they just left it as it is. It's kind of more of a sound uh, than an actual word. Um, one commentator says uh, it's hard to translate into English. It's a word of contempt, meaning empty, worthless, foolish, or an idiot. So in other words, it's like calling somebody a worthless idiot. <coughs> Jesus says anybody that says to his brother, you're a worthless idiot, shall be in danger of the council. See how they interpreted the law of murder? It's like, well, I've never killed anybody. Yeah, but you called people worthless idiots. You know, you're driving and somebody cuts you off and you're like, you worthless idiot. 
Jesus says that you're committing the sin of murder. You're committing the sin of murder when you do that. This is uncomfortable. I mean, see how the law is supposed to be interpreted? There's nobody in this room that's exempt from this. Nobody. And that's what God wants us all to realize as people. You might not be a Christian here today. God wants you to realize is you've broken his law, but he offers forgiveness for that. That's the gospel simply. You've broken God's law, but he wants to forgive you. Now, he says, shall be in danger of the council. In other words, your actions are liable to prosecution, is what Jesus is saying. Angry words, name-calling. What they do, though, is they, they reveal a heart that is filled with contempt for other people, right? If I can say terrible things about somebody with my mouth, and I'm, that's kind of my personality, you know, as I'm cursing people out, it reveals that my heart is messed up, you know, that I've got contempt for God's creation. I mean, God created humans in his image, and, and if I have contempt towards them, that's very sinful. You know, Jesus said that's his, the sin of murder, you know, as far as God's concerned. And he goes on and he says, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, you fool, the Greek word is the word moros. Does anybody have any idea what English word that kind of sounds like? Everybody knows that word. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You're right, though. Um, the, the scholars tell us that it's actually a more hardcore of a thing to say about somebody than Raka. Raka is you're a worthless idiot. You fool. Not only are you calling their brain into question, you're kind of a worthless idiot, you're, you're missing something upstairs, right? This is calling their character and morality into question. You're saying that this person is morally worthless. You have utter contempt for other humans. You know, you moron, you just, just, you don't even deserve to breathe the air on this planet, right? It's that kind of condemnation. And Jesus says, if that's you, then, um, you know, if that's me, then um, we're in danger of hellfire. Now, the word translated hell is the word, it's the word Gehenna. Uh, it means the valley of Hinnom. This is the valley south of Jerusalem where there was a continual burning of the city's refuse. And so, that's where the name hell comes from. This is a description of the eternity that Jesus says people will have without um, God. You know, if you reject Christ, you'll spend your eternity in this. Um, the way the Bible describes it, it's a literal place. It's a literal place that's described as like burning. Let me tell you a little bit about what the Bible says about hell. I'm just going to read a commentator's quote here. He said, the Bible actually gives few particulars about hell, we know that it was originally intended for demonic beings, not for people. Hell was made for Satan it's, and for the fallen angels. That's where they will go and suffer eternally. The experience of being in hell is compared to burning. Um, at the same time, hell is compared to darkness, and it's associated with intense grief. Uh, in short, the Bible only tells us what being in hell is like. It doesn't tell us explicitly what hell is or exactly how it functions. Uh, what the Bible does make clear is that hell is real, eternal, and to be avoided at all costs. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's, you may not have killed somebody on the outside, but you're calling them a moron. You're calling them an idiot. It's revealing what's going on in your heart. You're actually guilty of breaking the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And if you don't come to Christ for forgiveness and you don't come to uh, God for salvation, um, you know, then the, your destiny is not good, right? It's not, he's not telling people that if you're saved, you're going to go to hell. I don't believe, you know, you take the whole Bible as a context. But what he's trying to point out, I think, that, I think that what Jesus is trying to get at is you just need to call that sin what it is. And you need to realize that 
when your heart's filled with contempt and you're lashing out at people, you're committing the sin of murder, and it's a terrible sin, and you need to come to the Savior for forgiveness. I don't care if you're saved last year or 20 years ago or today. You need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. I do. For all the stuff that I've committed like this, because it's, I mean, this passage frightens me, I got to tell you, because I look at myself, I let the Spirit scan me, I look at the Word, the Word of God, it's the mirror held up in front of me, and I see that there's ugliness in my heart, there really is, and I want to justify it, and I want to make it say, well, God, you know, don't you know that if this wasn't like this, and if this person wasn't like this, you know, one of the things I learned in anger management when I was like 14, uh, that was after the Banshell incident, (laughs) One of the things I learned in anger management is you can't blame anybody else for your anger. It's your business. You don't have to, because people say, well, you made me angry. No, they didn't. You allowed yourself to become angry at what they did. Now, they need to take ownership for what they did. That's their business. But your business is your response, your anger. If you don't deal with your anger, if you don't take this to Jesus in Peter, it says what happens is you develop what's called a root of what? Bitterness, right? You become bitter towards people. And when you're bitter in your heart, your heart's not pleasing to God, right? So how do you keep your heart soft? Confession, repentance of sin, taking this stuff to the Lord. Oh, my gosh, Lord, my heart's filled with wickedness. It really is. And, and confess. And then you apply 1 John 1, 9. If, we're, if we'll confess our sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of what? All unrighteousness. He'll cleanse us of that. It's the Christian bar of soap, right? Spiritual bar of soap. You confess, he forgives, and he cleanses. Now do you see why we sing these songs? We're like, yes, thank you, because I'm guilty, you know? And my guilt drives me to the Savior. And it should drive you there. Yours should drive you there as well. It's not a comfortable subject in 2021. Everybody just thinks life's about feeling great all the time and masking how they really feel masking the guilt that they know that they're accumulating. But Christ gives the only way out. It's the only way out. You're not going to find the way out through medicine. You'll find a Band-Aid through medicine, maybe. You're not going to find any way out except through Christ. To actually have your conscience clean. That comes by confessing to him and asking for forgiveness. So how does God see anger? Well, it's murder. And you may think that you've never killed anybody, but God looks at your heart. And in 1 John it says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. So realize that if you're angry at people, thinking evil about other humans, you're in a bad place and quite far from God. And so that is number one. We need to understand how God sees anger. Number two, understand the priority of reconciliation. Now Jesus is going to apply it. How do I know that? Verse 23 starts with a word. You see that word there? Therefore. What do you, what do you ask when you see the word therefore? What's it there for, right? It's there because he's applying what he just got done saying. He just got done saying this principle, and now he's saying, therefore, since that is true, since God sees anger as murder, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if you bring your gift to the altar, 
religious duties of the Jews. Um, the Jews were to bring sacrifices to, in uh, old, way Old Testament times, to the tabernacle, then to the temple. They were to bring offerings of sacrifice. Um, and what those offerings did, a few different things. One of the offerings provided a temporary covering of sin. You see, in the Old Testament times, they sacrificed animals as a temporary blood covering for sin, trying to teach people that sin requires death, right? And for thousands of years, God taught the Jews that. So they would bring their gift to the altar. They would bring their gift to be sacrificed. And what Jesus is saying here is if you're bringing your offering whether it's the sin offering, the consecration offering, the, you know, the fellowship offering, the peace offering, whatever it is, whatever religious duty that you're doing, if you, here, let's make it today. If you come to church and you're going to offer the sacrifice of praise, you're going to sing songs to the Lord, and as you're doing that, you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus says, deal with that immediately before you do your religious stuff, right? That's heavy duty. I always thought of communion services. It's like, how many communion services have you seen where people are like, okay, wait a minute, and they're getting up and they're going and making a phone call, you know, or five, or they're going across the room and saying, brother and sister, I haven't been very loving. I've been sinning against you, you know, or, or whatever. You know, you just, I mean, you would think that would kind of, I don't know. But that's what he's getting at here, is he's saying, if, you're, if you've come to church today, let's just, we'll just go for it, right? If you've come to church today, and as you're starting to hear this, you're thinking, wow, you know, there's people that have something against me. Well, what Jesus says is, go deal with it. If you have the power to be at peace with all men, you should do so. Remember, that's what Paul says, Book of Romans? If, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Hey, as far as it depends upon you, you can't control what other people do, right? Doesn't this happen sometimes in church? You'll be singing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, man, wow. God brings some person to your mind. And maybe what you need to do is go make a phone call. Maybe you need to text them. Maybe you need to Facebook them. Maybe you need to go over to their house. Maybe you don't. Maybe you shouldn't go to their house. (laughs) God has something so much better for his people than to live some sort of phony external righteousness where we put on a face and where we say, well, I haven't killed anybody, but in your heart's like wickedness and people are mad at you because you leave a string of broken relationships behind you. God has something so much better for you than that. He doesn't want you to live with this stuff hanging over your head and he doesn't want other people to live this is a dangerous thing and as far as God's concerned. This is a bad thing, bad relationships, leaving a string of them. Now, you can't go fix every single thing, you know. Don't get me wrong, you know. I don't believe that you have to write down a list of every single person you've ever wronged in your life and go make amends for that. I, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's even what he's saying here. But I will say this. If that's what the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do, then you need to do that, right? Don't let me soften this. When God brings somebody to mind, something that you messed up, deal with it. Don't avoid it. Right? That's what he's getting at. And he's saying that that's far more important than your religious service. Right? You can be bolstering yourself up on your church attendance, on your giving, 
on how much you serve the Lord. You can bolster yourself up with those things. And, and you can say, oh, I'm so religious. I'm, so, I'm doing this Christian thing. But God's saying, all that stuff, it's great. But it doesn't supersede you making it right with people that you've hurt. It's, it's pretty interesting, right? If you there remember that your brother has something against you, I always, nat- more naturally, I would read it, if you get to the altar with your gift and you think, you remember that you have something against somebody. Oh, okay, I can drop that right here, no problem. But this goes even further. You remember that somebody has something against you, whether even if you're innocent, right? Leave your gift there, go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. That word first is important because Jesus is saying relationships is more important, are more important than religious duties, right? Not that religious duties aren't important, but if you're ranking the importance. You know, God doesn't want a bunch of people uh, that are damaging relationships and then showing up and being like, I'm a Christian. And then everybody's like, yeah, but that person, like, wow, dude, the way they treat people. It's a bad witness. No. So that's number two. Number three, let's understand. the need to reconcile with urgency. So he says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, you'd be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you that you'll by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. This is an illustration, like in this day, when you were going to go to court, this is what I read, I thought it was kind of fascinating. When you were going to go to court, the plaintiff and the defendant would go to court together, right? And so while you're on the way, what Jesus is saying, you're on the way to court, just settle it. You know, if you're the defendant, you're the plaintiff. And even the law tells you to do that today. A lawyer, you know, scrupulous lawyer would tell you, you know, it's better to settle out of court, right? That's what Jesus is saying. If somebody has something against you, it's better just to take care of it as soon as possible because you know what will happen is that anger will brood in their life. And eventually, you know, you could, you could use this as an example. Maybe somebody's really mad at you today and, you know, maybe it'll turn into them like taking you to court, you know? So you're better just settling it ahead of time. Even, you know, Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, isn't it better just to suffer loss, right? Isn't it better just to be a peacemaker? And it's interesting he uses the word prison because the longer that anger isn't dealt with, the thicker the prison walls get that bind you and that person, right? So deal with it soon because... You're in a prison if you're angry at somebody. You're controlled by anger. It's your master. You know why we always say, Jesus freed me from slavery. And, and that doesn't really make too much sense. You know, in the beginning, of, you're starting to walk with the Lord. Why do these Christians use this goofy language? Well, anger is like a prison, right? Every day you're thinking about how you're mad at somebody or how they wronged you. It's a prison. You're bound, you're shackled anger. That's all you think about. At least once a day, you think about it. You think about how mad you are. It's a prison. But whether you're guilty or not, whether you're innocent, if you'll just with urgency go to reconcile, and just as far as it depends upon you, make the thing right, try to forgive, you'll be freed from that prison. You'll be saying, Jesus, freed me. I used to think these Christians are weird, and now I'm up there singing, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, he saved my soul, he freed me. Anger's a prison.
seem like extremely practical advice, doesn't it? To resolve our differences with our enemies before their anger causes more trouble. In a larger sense, these verses tell us to get things right with our brothers and sisters before we must stand before the judge, before we stand before God. The scribes and the Pharisees, what they did was they taught the law in a way that lessened its intended meaning. They said, if you don't do the act of killing somebody unjustly, then you're righteous. But Jesus says it goes much deeper than the outward actions. It's the attitude of the heart that God sees. Anger's murder. Seeking to reconcile is so important that Jesus says it comes before all of our religious duties. And we should do this with urgency before things escalate. Maybe the Spirit's been convicting you today I've been get, I have the blessing of studying this passage all week long and getting convicted all week long, and um, you get to hear it just once on Sunday. Maybe the Lord's convicting you today. And um, I'm not going to try to add to that or take away from that. I'm just going to let the Spirit minister to you and <laughs> let, like it's not my, I'm going to try, try not to mess it up with my words. So we're going to have a time of worship here. And what this time is going to be focused on is um, confession, coming to the Lord, laying our hearts before him. Maybe the Spirit's been convicting you. You realize you're, as far as what God says, you're guilty of murder. You curse people out. You call them fools. You call them morons. You think certainly that certain people are worthless. I'm sure nobody sees it on the outside, but you've been keeping these things to yourself. Your father sees it, and he wants to free you from it. According to Jesus, you're in danger of hellfire, judgment. You're burdened, and you need to be set free. Come to your father, and you ask him to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all this unrighteousness. Maybe now today that you understand for the first time, you may be offering a lot. You may be doing a lot of religious duties, worshiping, studying the word, giving great things. But now you understand that God wants you to make things right with that person, with those people. The Spirit has brought you to a place in which you need to make that phone call. You need to go see that person or send that email. You need to stop doing that thing. Do it. Now the Sermon on the Mount certainly drives us to the Savior. And maybe you've never come today and I want to make that invitation to you that if you can sense the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart today, working with you through your conscience, um, you realize that before God, you know, all these people here aside, but you and God, you've realized, I've fallen short. I've broken your laws, God. Let that drive you to him. It's kind of like a doctor that wants you to accept the diagnosis. The doctor's trying to tell you, look, here's what the study proves. It proves that you're going to die, okay? So I want to give you the medicine, right? That's what God's saying. I, I mean, let me show you the word. Let me show you the law. Let me show you my standard as the test. And what that test is going to do is it's going to reveal to you that you fall short, that there's a problem. 
But that's not all. God wants to come and be the solution to that problem. He wants to be the medicine to that problem. And so you just admit, doctor, God, you're right. I've fallen short of your glory. You're right. I've sinned. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him will not die, but will receive everlasting life. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever confesses their sin and says, Lord, you're right, I'm busted. You're right, I'm I'm not going to hide from you and run from you anymore. He will give forgiveness to that person. He'll cleanse them from all unrighteousness. He'll give them new life, life eternal. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you, whosoever. It's a good deal. I'm guilty. He takes that guilt upon himself at the cross. And then through my faith in him, God the Father is willing to call me forgiven and righteous. Maybe this is your time to turn your life over to him. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God sent him, that God raised him from the dead for your forgiveness, if you believe that, you'll be saved. You'll trust in that today. You'll be saved. It's that simple. Father, we thank you for your word here today, and I just pray that your spirit continue to minister and uh, during this time, Lord, that you just have your way. In Jesus' name.